Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church Podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org. Amen. Uh, if you would, uh, remain standing, and uh, let's read the Word of God together. Uh, if you have your Bibles handy, uh, would you open them up to Genesis chapter 6? And uh, as we begin our, our series of the greatest stories ever told, uh, it's my prayer for you that as we embark on this journey together, that these stories that, that maybe you've heard uh, before, maybe you've heard many times, uh, that God would indeed open your ears to hear them afresh. Uh, this is Genesis 6. Uh, we'll begin in verse 5. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for stories that remind us that, that you, God, are above it all, that you are a good God, but you are also a just and righteous and holy God. And you are a God of love and a God of grace. God, would you open our ears today to, to hear this message afresh? God, would you, would you help us to listen intently to your words this morning? Would, uh, would you bless Pastor Mike? Would you anoint his words? For God, they are, they are your words. God, would you bless us today? Uh, God, would you be blessed as we spend time in your presence? God, we ask you to move, uh, to, to cause these words to, to penetrate deeply into our hearts, that we would be transformed to become more like your son, Jesus. God, we ask you this in his precious name. Good morning. As Tim had said, we are starting a new series called The Greatest Stories Ever Told, and we're going to share some of the epic Bible stories, uh, uh, epic stories in the Bible, from the Exodus story to David and Goliath to Daniel and the lion's den and so many more. And today we're going to begin with Noah's Ark. For the next 30 minutes, we're going to share with you this amazing story of God's grace and the tremendous faith of Noah in the midst of the most destructive generation in human history. Our goal would also be to, to see how this works in, in, in God's overarching plan of redemption. You know, Jesus says this. He says, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them that you will find that you will have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about who? Me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So from this, we learn that the, the, the more common approach to understanding the redemptive nature of all of the stories in the Bible is to identify God's, God's 
how God's word predicts or, or prepares us for or reflects or, or results from the person and our work of Jesus Christ. And so that's our goal here. We, we don't want to, uh, uh, we, we have to end with Jesus because this is God's narrative, that Jesus is the pinnacle of all of God's stories. Before going into full-time ministry, I was a safety manager for a trucking company up in the high desert, and, um, and it was owned by a good friend of mine uh, named Jerry Butcher. Uh, Jerry taught me about everything I knew about transportation safety, um, and, and it was twofold. Two things were very, very important about transportation safety, and the first was that we had to be compliant. We had to be compliant with all the federal, state, and local laws. Uh, uh, our drivers had to meet all of the standards uh, to qualify to drive a commercial motor vehicle, and our equipment needed to be uh, maintained regularly, and so we had to abide by these things. The second thing, and, and the most important factor, was the safety of our drivers and those around them. And so my trainers were some of the top drivers in our company. Uh, they were dedicated to the company, and they understood their responsibility. After a new hire was brought onto the team, they were assigned to a trainer who assured that they were uh, to perform their duties safely and responsibly. Once they were trained, the driver would then be released to drive independently and, and, and trusted to do their job to the best of their abilities. No matter how good our training was, we, can never fully, we were never fully able to prevent a, an incident or an accident from happening. Uh, I would get the call and everything would stop, right? Um, we would get a call and, and somebody would be in a collision or they would be injured on the job. And, and my first priority was that driver's safety. And so uh, once I was certain that the driver was going to be okay, I began to, the, the investigation to determine the cause of the incident. If the driver was at fault, we would determine uh, the best course of action. The minimum would be three days off and, and some extra training, and the maximum would be uh, immediate termination. It all depended on the severity of the incident. If the mistake was too severe to, to allow this driver to continue to drive for this company, I would have to let that person go. So what does all this have to do with, with the story of Noah? Well, let me explain. Every time I, I terminated an employee, it was the right thing to do. That I, but, but yet, even when I did it, I felt this, this regret and grief when doing it. You know, for some people, I would regret even hiring them in the first place. Or maybe I would think to myself and regret the fact that maybe I should have trained them better. I also felt grief knowing that this particular incident was so bad that the only responsible thing to do was to terminate this driver's employment. Even, even though I felt this regret and this grief, I knew it was still the right thing to do. Maybe you are, have been responsible for things or people in your life, and you've experienced regret and grief too. And although, the, although these decisions aren't on the level of making the decision to just wipe the earth clean, like to judge the world, in a small way it helps us understand the heart of God when trying to understand why this particular story is part of our human history. It's interesting, not, it's not the only, like Noah's stories in all kinds of religious books, not just the book of the Bible. It's actually even in the Koran. Can you believe that? That this event actually happened, and they take Noah's story, they take the flood of the earth, and they, they make their own narrative around it. But we have God's word. 
We have God's word to us. We believe as we're opening our scriptures that God speaks to us and tells us the truth about the story of Noah. Moses tells us this tragic story of God's regret and grief. And while it may, like God's judgment might seem severe here, consider the following four things that Moses tells us. Mankind was wicked. Their thoughts were always evil. Their intentions were always corrupt, and the earth was filled with violence. The description of humanity is completely different from the description of humanity given in the first chapter of Genesis, just five chapters prior to this. Now, if you were here with us on the What We Believe series, you know that that God created the world, right? And he declared that it was very good. The crowning achievement of God's creation was mankind, us, humans, because he created us uniquely in his image and likeness. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were called to be devoted to God and be devoted to one another. They were, they were given the responsibility and the privilege to work the earth, to, to take care of the earth. They, they were also called to be fruitful and multiply, filling the earth with more followers of God. And then they were called to teach them to do the same, to walk with God. Then the Lord gave Adam and Eve everything that they needed to to flourish and to be successful in the garden. Because God loved them, and love is a choice, God placed in the middle of the garden the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, from which God had forbidden them to eat. You see, God wasn't creating worshipers who, who were like robots. He was creating a choice, because love is a choice. And out of love for them, God warned them of the consequence of eating the tree. This is what he said. He said, the day that you eat of the tree, you shall surely die. Now we fast forward to Genesis 3, and both Adam and Eve were were, were confronted by Satan, and he begins to deceive them. He convinces them that they would not die, that they could actually be like God, knowing good from evil, that they can be their own gods, that they can live autonomously from God, and maybe God is keeping them from something. And so they they, they are convinced that this is true. It's interesting, like, like... God spoke one gospel, and and Satan spoke another. He preached a sermon, and and God preached a sermon. God told him, gives him authoritative instruction, and then Satan preaches another sermon, and they believe him instead of God. And then Scripture says this. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Every temptation is this. That when we look at things that we think are good that are not. That we see it and we're like, we, we crave it. It's a delight to our eyes. And then we think it's going to be good for us, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to make one wise. And then it says, she took of its fruit and ate. And so also gave some to her husband who was with her. Immediately, Adam and Eve felt something that they have never felt before. They had felt the effects of their sin. They felt guilt and shame. They ran and hid themselves. Adam and Eve began to feel and experience the things that God had warned them of and wanted to protect them of. And then we fast forward 10 generations later in Genesis 6, and what God had originally declared to be very good became so wicked, so evil, so corrupt, so violent that he felt that it was necessary to blot out this entire generation from the face of the earth. This is the most tragic outcome in human history. 
We're told that the Lord regretted that he had made man and that he was grieved in his heart. But this is not a, a regret that you feel when you realize that you've made a mistake. And this leads me to my first point today, if you're following along in your notes. God sorrowfully regretted that all he had originally intended to be good, there's your first word, had been poisoned by sin. At this point, God's heart is broken. He is sorrowful uh, for the way that mankind has turned their backs on him. He, what he intended for good was used to, for the spread and the exploitation of evil all the time. And God's only solution was to cleanse the earth, remove the problem, and start completely over. Some of you hear this story and you go like, wait, I heard you preach. Like, God is a God of love. Matter of fact, like, he is love. Like, his very essence is love. And so how can this possibly be an act of love? Well, on a human level, I... We really have no category to fully understand this kind of regret and grief. Again, I used in the opening of this some real-life scenario that can help us try to understand and wrap our hearts and minds around it. But when we consider the level of wickedness, evil, and corruption that mankind had steeped to, I want you to do this. Now multiply that, the wickedness, the evil, the corruption, the violence by 100,000. Like, like, whatever you thought in your mind, what, what this evil, how this evil personified itself, multiply that by 100,000, and then you can see, like, this would be totally irresponsible for God to allow this to continue. And the most loving thing that he can do is put a stop to it. Now, what's, what's, what's perhaps most surprising about this story about this tragedy, about this devastation, is, is God's grace in the midst of it. That, that Noah's generation, much like ours, deserved judgment of God because, because of their sin and disobedience. And this leads me to my second point. Because judgment isn't the last word. Weaved into the ugliness of sin and the promise of judgment is the grace and mercy of God. We read in Genesis 6, 8, and 9, it says this, <clears throat> excuse me, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. First, it says Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, when we read this, we, we need to understand that, that Noah was just as guilty as the rest of mankind. That Noah was a sinner like everyone else, and he deserved the same judgment everyone else of his generation received. And it's equally important to understand that Noah didn't escape God's judgment because of something that he had did. I mean, we often think in terms like, like you get what you deserve, right? And that's pretty much true, humanly speaking. But when it comes to God, God doesn't work that way. That the word favor here doesn't mean that God met Noah halfway. Noah, you do this, and I'll do this. That's not what the truth is. But yet, we do that a lot, don't we? Well, if I just do a little good, God will like me better. If I just do more good than bad, God's going to like me better. God doesn't work that way. That's not how His love works. Favor translated here from the Hebrew means grace. And the definition of grace is this. It's written down in your notes as well. Grace is the free, unmerited favor and love of God. This is why we can say that, that when Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord, he found, he found free, 
unmerited. He done nothing for it. He unmerited grace and love. And you see, the only reason why Noah was blameless in his time is because, because he was graced with favor from God. That God had forgiven Noah. God had showed favor on him. God chose to grace Noah with righteousness. And this is what left him blameless. The same is true for anybody who calls themselves a Christian. You've done nothing to earn that right. And we'll get into more of that here. But there was nothing in, in, in Noah's goodness that, that earned God or made God move in his direction. And, and as a response of God's grace, we're told here that, that he walked with God. That Noah walked with God. Isn't that, wouldn't it be great to be known as someone who walks with God? Like, like Noah didn't walk in the way of the culture. When God graced him and declared him righteous and blameless, he said, I, that is wrong. This is right. I am appreciative of what God has given me. Now I'm going to walk with God, not in the ways of the world. I'm going to walk to a beat of a different drum. I am following him. I am following God, not this world. And then we move from that grace that favor to the ark. Noah was also saved from judgment through the building of the ark. We read in verse 13 through 22 that God gave Noah detailed instructions on how to build the ark. And it was huge. The length of the ark was 510 feet, 85 feet wide, and 51 feet high. It's estimated to have used 3.1 million board feet of lumber to build. Here's a picture of Rachel and Virgil Cooley by the uh, life-size, actual-size version of Noah's Ark. This is at the Ark Encounter in Williamson, Kentucky. It is absolutely humongous. Imagine what it took to build this. this, this the cargo capacity of the Ark is that of a modern-day cargo ship. There would be eight people on this Ark. Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives, and then two of every living thing, male and female, would go with them. Noah did all that God had commanded him to do. And this, if you look at this ark, you've got to know that this is a, an extreme build, right? Do you guys watch those extreme builds on Discovery? I love those shows. But nothing was as extreme as the ark. And here's this man who doesn't have an auto shop or doesn't have a Home Depot to go to. Here's this man being obedient. Imagine the time it must have taken him to cut down all those trees, uh, slice them into perfectly square boards, attach them to each other, fasten them in, and begin to structure and make and build this ark. It's absolutely an amazing. And then think of the fact that this is also another crazy fun fact is that it, it wasn't raining when all this was happening and it hadn't rained for, for decades. And here Noah is building this ark. Imagine the mockery and, and, and the insults that he must have endured. Him and his family must have endured. It must have taken years and years for him to build it. And yet he's building it all in faith. Listen, if you are going to be someone who responds to God's grace and you walk with God, you're going to, he's going to ask you to do some things that look completely different from the way the culture is going. And when you do, you are going to have to understand that mockery and insults and, and, and are going to come. They just are. 
When we say that there's hope in the world today, when it all seems hopeless and people think we're crazy and they call us crazy because we believe in the hope and we believe in God who is, is the same today for, and forever, people don't believe that and they're going to call you a fool for believing it. But people who walk with God, like Noah, is going to have to endure such mockery. Once, completed the ark, once he completed the ark, it became this tangible gift of God's grace that provided safety for Noah, safety for his family, and all of these animals. When the ark was finished, the, the animals came to Noah, and God closed up the door, and he flooded the earth. Now, Genesis 8, 1 is like the hinge of this whole story. I want to read it to you. It says, but God remembered Noah. Man, if he just stopped there, it's just such a powerful verse. I'm going to explain it in a minute. God remembered Noah and all of the beasts and all of the livestock that were, that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Now, when we use the word remembered, we typically think like, like of someone who had forgot something and they've remembered this. This is not the idea in the Hebrew word for remember. In the Hebrew word, it, this means that God remembers a previous commitment to a covenant partner. Like, like God remembers that he has a covenant relationship with Noah, that he made a covenant with Noah, and he will be keeping his promise right now. He remembers Noah. I'm sure some of you are wondering today, like, if God remembers you. With everything that is going on and, and everything that we have gone through, in our culture today, and even in our own personal lives. Like, God, where are you? Where are you? Do you even remember that we're over here and we are hurting? Do you remember that we are over here and that we are suffering? God, do you remember? Listen, if you have given your life to Christ, if you are a covenant partner with God, God remembers you. That God actually is with you. That the Bible says that once you have repented and put your faith in Jesus, that God takes residence in you. And this is good news. And so for those who have felt like, you know, that, that our loved ones have been all alone, they, that, that, that is not true. Now, I'm not trying to make short and light of the fact that you haven't been able to go see your loved one in the hospital. And that is just so tragic. But you have to know, and I pray that you'll be comforted to know that God is with them. God remembers you. He will always remember you because he is the ancient of days. This leads me to my third point. God is just as faithful to all his promises on your very worst day as he is on your very best day. That is good news that we need to hear today. God remembered Noah. Some of you might be going through your, your Noah and you're sitting on this boat, and the earth just seems flooded, and you're like, where is life? Where? This is my 40 days and my 40 nights. But God remembered Noah. God will remember you. After 40 days and 40 nights, the water subsided to reveal dry land, and by God's grace, Noah and his family were saved. Do you want to know why? Because God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises even on the worst days or on the best days. He, he's a promise keeper. Noah gets off the boat and he builds this altar to the Lord. 
Look at verse 8. Or chapter, yeah. Chapter 8, verse 20. It says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird, and he offered a burnt offering on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his birth. Neither will I, will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. I want to go back to this because I just feel like God's telling me this, that God's promise here, He's making another promise. And He says, I will never, I will never curse the ground because of man. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. You know, this coronavirus is not God's punishment for us because of this promise. He is not angry with you. He is not mad at you. He is not punishing you. He promised right here, I will never curse the ground again because of man. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature because as I have done. That's a promise that you could take to the bank. And, and we're going to get to the reason why God has no more anger for you in just a minute. You see, the amazing thing about this story is not so much God's judgment. It's not so much the flood. That, that's a, 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 it's a crazy thing to wrap your mind around, but, but rather the amazing grace of God. The grace that saved Noah, and it's the grace that, was gonna, is, that has saved us. And he promises that he'll never do this again. The promise of that is marked by a rainbow that he throws up into the sky. And so every time you see a rainbow, it's meant to, to point us to this promise. That as the clouds come in and the rain falls and you, you, you feel the, the, just the depression and the, and the rain, and, and you know that as that clears and the sun comes out, it's a sign from God saying, I will never do this again. Noah would sacrifice an innocent, innocent animals as a burnt offering for sin. That this was his response. This is what they did back then. Noah would sacrifice the innocent for the guilty. And it's a picture pushing us forward to Jesus. It foreshadows the ultimate and the final sacrifice, sacrificial offering. God knew that no animal or, or human could, could fix the pain and the sin in the world. So God sent His Son from heaven to solve the problem. At the center of history is, is a block of wood. And that block of wood is not an ark. It's a cross. It is at the cross where, where God's, like a flood of God's wrath, pushed Jesus into the grave, into His death, so that, so that we can be pushed up into the ark of His grace. You see, Jesus, like Noah's rescue, Jesus is our rescue. It's one sacrifice, one offering, one Savior, and it equals a new start and new life for generations and generations after. He would be our final sacrifice for sin. That Jesus, the innocent, would die for the guilty. God would not curse man anymore. 
or he would not kill living things anymore. Because why? He was going to kill Jesus. In Pastor uh, Charlie's book, um, Yes, Charlie Garrison, I'm quoting you in a sermon, man. Love you, brother. Jesus is like an ark saving us from a flood. No matter what, when we believe in Jesus, we get to be with God forever. God always makes a way for us to be saved. This is amazing grace. And if you have trusted in His Son, God has, is at peace with you. This is what we learned last week through Tim's sermon. And that the whole of your life is under the cloud of grace now. That gra- and it's a grace that never runs out. That it's a promise of grace to, for, for eternity. God says that Noah found favor with the Lord, that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. You know, the Apostle Peter is described, he described Noah as a herald of righteousness. That, that Noah's life and his actions preached to his people. And I am certain that if they were climbed aboard and repented of their sin, that God would have saved them and allowed them to be in the ark too. But they rejected that opportunity. And instead they were swallowed up by the waters of God's judgment. We don't have to be like them. You don't have to be like them. God is offering us all a way of escape, but more than that, He is offering us a new life in Christ. Today, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. And like Noah, you can be made righteous and declared blameless when you place your faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I don't care who you are or, or, or what you've done or where you've been. I don't care about the week that you had or the month that you had or the year that you had and, and all of the mistakes that you have made. It doesn't matter because Jesus, God's grace is enough. And this leads me to my last point for today. The forecast for believers is always grace. A flood of grace. The forecast for believers is always grace. A flood of grace. You know, Jesus said this. He said, God, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that they might be saved through him. You see, the forecast for the believer is never condemnation. It's never judgment. It's never uh, termination, if you will. It's never wiping you clean. The forecast is always grace. The Christian life starts with grace. It continues with grace and it ends with grace. Free, merited, unmerited love and mercy of God. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you demonstrated your love for us by sending us Jesus. We thank you for this epic story of Noah and, and just how compassionate and merciful you were to a generation to even wipe them out because you were, you were so concerned for them. God, thank you that you've given us your promise in this book that says you'd never do that again. And we know now why you would never do that again, because you poured your wrath out upon your only son. He took our place. He took our punishment to the cross. That we can be forgiven, that we can be accepted, that we can be declared blameless and upright. And so, God, I pray that we would be like Noah. That we would respond to such grace and mercy and love by walking with you.
that we would not walk in the ways of the world, we wouldn't think like the ways of the world, that we would walk and think and get to know you, that we would follow you closely. Holy Spirit, we invite you here right now as we respond to worship. We pray that you transform our hearts and our minds to follow Jesus more closely, to love him more deeply, and to love others as you've called us to. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org.